Hey friends, welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm your host, Angela Donatio, Bible teacher, author, and adventure junkie. Join me each week for compelling conversations with leading voices that encourage us to ground our worth in the word instead of the narrative of the world. Together, we'll discover miracles in life's messy moments and make our lives matter no matter what. Here's this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I cannot wait for you to meet my brand new friend, Lena Abujamra. What do you do when Christianity hasn't lived up to your expectations? Pediatric ER doctor Lena Abujamra felt the same disappointment, and she shares her powerful story in her most recent book, Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. As a popular Bible teacher, podcaster, and founder of Living with Power Ministries, she connects biblical answers to everyday life. Born in Beirut, Lebanon, she ministers to singles through her Moody radio show, Today's Single Christian, and she's engaged in providing medical care and humanitarian help to Syrian refugees and others in disaster areas in the Middle East. Welcome, Lena. I am so honored and excited to have you here on the show. Likewise, I'm excited to be on. (laughs) Well, I have your book, Fractured Faith. I finished reading the whole thing while I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. It's such a powerful resource. We've been chatting about it a little bit privately. I want to read right off the bat here. I want to read an excerpt from it. Um, My husband and I have pastored for three decades right out here outside of Washington, D.C. And so, you know, church hurt is not, um, it's not a new topic for us. It's an unfortunate topic that we have to discuss, but it's part of your story. So we'll lean into that a little bit as well. And you share this on page 25. Pain has a way of revealing who you are and what you really believe. Pain doesn't destroy your faith. It simply exposes it. Instead of seeing your pain and suffering as the worst thing that could happen to you, it's life-saving to see suffering as a pathway to God. Instead of allowing suffering to deconstruct your faith, Consider how God wants to use your suffering to reignite your faith in him. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack in just in that short paragraph. And if you guys are listening, you can already see there's a lot in this book to unpack. It's powerful. It's insightful. So, Lena, let's just share a little bit about your story. I know Church Hurt was a part of it, but talk to us about how you found yourself in a place that you even needed to write a book called Fractured Faith. Yeah, the yeah. I mean, I think um, nobody plans on that, right? <laughs> Especially if you're leading a ministry of Bible teaching and on the momentum of growth. And so that was sort of the place I found myself back a few years ago. I felt, you know, I think you, I always think I have to go back a little bit further to understand why it, does a doctor teach the Bible? Well, they only do it if they feel a sense of deep calling. So in the year 2000, uh, I really felt a very strong bivocational call. I was a doctor finishing my training and God uh, opened a door, by the way, out of brokenness at the time, I had a big uh, personal crisis that happened uh, that had to do with, with not getting married basically. And, and really then a relationship that I thought would lead to marriage failed. And out of that, God did heal me. So in some ways, maybe looking back, maybe I deconstructed a bit then, but I, we didn't call it that at the time, but there was sort of this question of God, what are you doing here? Why aren't you cooperating? You know, why is there so much pain in my life? And so I came out of that really uh, in a place where God landing me in the local church, teaching the Bible. And I saw um, how much I loved that. But more importantly, I think it's almost felt then that maybe the the pain of broken relationship with the guy that I thought I would marry sort of was redemptive in the sense, you know, all Christians, we like to kind of 
back things up in a nice little, you know, bow and back, you know, wrap them up and, and, and have nice little boxes. And so I felt like, oh, well, something really bad happened, but God is using it for good. So it's very Romans 8.28. And I kind of came out of that teaching what I felt was very powerfully and, and had a, what I felt was an anointing from God and did that for a few years, went through some hiccups, but nothing major, you know, and sort of the trajectory kept growing. So that about the year 2006 or, or so, I found this mega church in Chicago and very quickly God propelled me in a place of teaching. So again, very consistent with what I was seeing him do in my life and calling mm. so that I, it felt like the destination, right? It didn't yeah. felt like I had finally landed in a place that, that things were happening and that God had, of course, all of these broken pieces came together. And so imagine my surprise when a few years later, there was, and, and, and by the way, and I very quickly fell into the inside circle. So I wasn't just teaching, but I was in a very mm. elite inside circle, which was also very miraculous. And so when things started to sort of there were questions about the leadership structure. There were questions about the leader himself, toxic ways of leadership, abuse of power. Now in hindsight, we have language for things that we didn't have language for in 2009, 10. So I was still only three or four years into it. I started leading the women's ministry while practicing medicine. Again, so all in, all into this. And so when, when the chips started to fall and the foundation started, to crack. At first, I didn't want to believe it. And it took a couple of years of sort of hearing story after story and then matching it to the experience that I was having. So then by the time I left church in 2013, now my two books came out that my first two books came out that summer, kind of back to back to when I ended up leaving. So very poor timing on my part uh, to leave at that point. But but I was convicted by then that it was the right thing to do. And multiple things had happened that made it very clear that it was time to leave. And I knew leaving, it would not be easy because my whole life and my whole life was in that church. My whole, I mean, I had my medical job, but I didn't socialize with my medical people. I socialized with my church people. I, I felt passionate about my life and purpose and calling in church. And so I knew it would be hard to leave. I think I underestimated how hard. And so between 2013 and I, I started writing the book in 2019, those were really, really hard years that, that, that I expected God to deliver for me in a way that I didn't see happen. And I think it, to me, the heart of deconstruction that happened in my life was that the sense that God, so I had questions, honestly, a lot of what happens in deconstruction is people ask questions to others and to themselves that don't get good answers. And so they end up through a process of rethinking sort of those questions, coming to a place where they don't no longer believe things that they used to believe. And so a lot of the talk in, in our culture about deconstruction has sort of focused on very theological issues. You know, a lot of, a lot of famous you know, people who in, 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 in Christianity have, have changed their views on big orthodox items, whether it's the literacy of scripture, which is huge, but even the, you know, what the Bible teaches about homosexual marriage, things like that, that have, you know, that's kind of an intellectual deconstruction. But I am more and more convinced that even those decisions that seem intellectual have at the core some level of pain and woundedness that led mm. to the question in the first place. Yeah, that's good. I've really seen that to be the case. And and sometimes people will deny that. Like, no, to me, it's just, you know, I really care about the immigrants, right? But I think there's a lot more going on in every deconstruction. For me, really, this deconstruction was asking questions to God that I felt like he wasn't answering. Yeah. So sort of my belief in God's goodness took a hit. And I think, I think however you look at, I mean, a lot of people change their views on Christian beliefs because they can't reconcile how can God be good and not allow blah 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 whatever right. it is that is, is unjust right and so one of the chapters i talk about is the justice of god because i think it's at the heart of deconstruction is god good is he just is he fair and i think a lot of what i went through in those last few years was sort of the sense now not about others out there but the only even in my own church 
these people that I had left and now shunned me in a sense, mm. I, that was sort of where I felt so alone and, and isolated. And, and I, I couldn't understand, you know, it was sort of like us against them, but the us and them was sort of like my church family. And so I think that that messes you up a bit. And so I wrote the book uh, by invitation of the publisher. I don't think I would have had the guts to do it, but, mm. but um, in hindsight, I am so glad I felt like I, in fact, I was thinking about that this morning. I, I, I wrote the book in process, you know, some books you write after the effect. And I think for me, it's not so much an, a solution book. It's really a companion of, to, of pain. As somebody, everyone who's read it has been, has been very much of the nature of saying, man, you just put to words what I've been feeling. And so it feels like a friend walking along you and who understands the pain that you've been. And by God's grace, it is a story of deep hope and sort of lands on a side of seeing God's goodness in a very dark season of my life. Mm, Thank you, Lena. It's a much needed book. And thank you to that publisher who said, hey, we want you to write this. I think sometimes we find the stories and other times the stories find us. And in this case, it, it was compelling you to share it. And there's so many people that need to hear it from so many angles. If our listeners are listening and they're not familiar with the word deconstruction, um, you, you've, you've beautifully outlined how our own emotional pain, trauma, misunderstanding of God, disappointment, disillusionment, all of that gets kind of, you know, thrown into one big pot and out comes this big word deconstruction. But then there's some things that need to be deconstructed, man-made constructs who, you know, that we attach to things. Um, That's a different, that's different than what you're describing. So clarify for anyone who maybe the term is new to them, what you mean by the deconstruction of your faith. Well, I, I think even honestly, I think in general, people are confused about the word. Honestly, I, I think culture now, when you hear the word, it's people who have left of Christian faith or evangelicalism or had the Christian life as they've known it. And so yeah. often the assumption when you hear the word deconstruction is that someone who's deconstructed has landed away from faith. And and I don't think that's always the case. In fact, probably the biggest gift in my book, and I went to that last appendix i only have one appendix i don't do a lot of appendices but i have one and i sort of tried to sketch out and honestly it might be worth getting the book just for that but it sort of walks through what how i view this concept of deconstruction and and i think whether it's an intellectual thing that leads you down so deconstruction purely speaking is what happens when a person asks questions that lead to the dismantling of previous beliefs mm-hmm. many of us have already deconstructed in some area in our life i grew up in a very fundamentalist you know Baptist sort of background. We didn't know that we were fundamentalists, but in hindsight, yeah, like you, you kind of look back and go, wow, there are some things that our church thought that I don't think were right. I mean, right. Big, probably another big one, like as an example of very, you know, just to kind of use a very superficial example, the church's view on alcohol took a, you know, there was like yeah. in the eighties, it's like if you couldn't even go to the movies or drink a glass of wine because you were thought to be unsaved. And, and I mean, that's silly. And most people now, even in a very, you know, conservative, you know, sort of very literal Bible, you know, interpretation would say, you can have a glass of wine. You're not going to go to hell if you do. And sure. so I think that there has been deconstruction of some things like that, that have been healthy in some ways. Yeah. And I'm not talking about alcohol now, but all of these things that we may have grown up thinking, well, this is how it all should be. And now you kind of, there's room for things under, you know, under scripture, but, but, but really the, the, I think all of, you know, there's an intellectual deconstruction, but I think the more dangerous one that leads to leaving faith is the questions that lead you to doubt the goodness of God and his active presence in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think a lot of battles can start intellectually, but end up, I mean, so a person who, you know, even now, like I look at a lot of people who have left the Christian faith. I mean, you can't be leaving something that meant everything to you and, and be void of emotion. 
Yeah. At some point it went from being, oh, I have a question about how we are doing this to God, I don't think you're right or fair or just. And whether I mean, obviously they're not justified in saying that if there is a God and he is just and fair, right? But but the point is it leaves you to saying, I can't trust this God. Yeah. And so I do talk about that level of deconstruction, which is an emotional, mm. heart-focused level that yes, may have been rooted in questions about why why is the pastor behaving this way? And why is our church holding up these things? Mm-hmm. And, and, and why, you know, why are we shunning people who have left the church, et cetera, but now bringing it, it moved from that to God, how have I given you my life and you're not standing up for me and God, where are you? And I desperately need you. And then all of the old hurts that I had shoved down. So I re, this whole experience re brought back some of the pain of my broken heart from the relationship that I thought God would restore and didn't. So mm. all these disappointments sort of came to the surface and what was a lot more festering wounds than I had given him credit for. And I have learned that God is too good to leave us festering in old wounds. Mm. And he will go to great extents to find us in our darkness and allow us to feel that level of pain in order to give us the healing that we have tried to ignore and shove. And, you know, we just want to put a bandaid over the wound and move on in life, but, yeah. but, but you're not healed and you're not well. And I think our God is too good to let that happen. And so whatever it takes, he will go to great strides and great extent in order to un- take off that bandaid as much as it hurts. And now slowly, but surely bring us to a place of healing, which is sort of what happened to me. Mm, it's so powerful. Lena. there's so much there. That's so great to digest. And I'm working on a book right now with my father on the life of Thomas. So we've been living so much of what you're saying because Thomas himself was so disappointed on an emotional level, also an intellectual level. And I think whether we realize or do it, we do it or not. What you're saying is we end up putting God's character on trial. We say either this didn't turn out the way I thought it was should, or in Thomas's case, he said, unless I see X, Y, and Z. So what we end up doing then is attaching these contingencies to faith. If God does this, that I think he should do, or because he didn't do this, we withhold that confidence, whether it's intellectually, emotionally, a combination, whichever one came first. It almost made me think of a divorce as you were talking. You don't Mm -hmm. just sign a paper, which is an intellectual, you know, act. There's an emotional attachment there that has been separated. There's a lot of emotion involved yeah. into that final act of a divorce. And, and I'm not saying deconstruction is divorcing yourself from God, but at whatever level you're finding yourself wrestling with these deep questions about it is a good analogy though. I mean, it is like a separation in some ways because mm-hmm. you like a couple. Okay. So before you get to a place of divorce, a couple will live in the house and not sometimes they'll move out to another room. Right. So they're still living in the same house. Yeah. They're still legally married, but there's no trust. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, we know in our modern day world, we're very you know, negative and, and already, Oh, okay. That's headed for divorce. Then they separate houses and then they divorce. That's like, that's a great analogy. That's deconstruction into disbelief and unbelief. And now you're divorced. Whereas the other side of it is you sort of are separate rooms for a while. And then you kind of go, man, but I really, and for me, so reconstruction came in understanding again, it, it, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how the analogy is even greater. It wasn't, it wasn't me going, Oh, I really miss the Lord. Oh, I really should move back in there. No, it was him knocking on the door, him pulling mm. me back to himself. And in a time, I think that, it, that I, I just, I, I didn't have ears to hear, not because I didn't want to, but because I, it was so fogged up with pain. And so it had to get to a place where so much was stripped from, I mean, COVID helped, 
even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so where the noise was gone and I could finally hear his little whisper beckoning me back to himself, which I think he does for every one of his followers. Anyone who's listening to this, who's hurting, I think it's easy to go, well, great, God showed up for you. Well, well A, it took eight years of walking this path. And B, you yeah. know, I think, I think he's, I believe with all my heart that he's doing it even in this moment for those people who are listening now going, well, what about me, God? Uh, and I, gen- I genuinely believe that even these types of conversations are, is God saying, even you, I hear you, I see you, I'm not as far or as, as oblivious to your pain as you assume that, that I am. Absolutely. I think the key is processing our pain with him rather than separate from him. And, and, and I grew up in the church. So let's just be honest. I think I grew up in a mentality at some point of you have doubts, you have questions. You're not allowed to have those. We don't have doubts. We don't have questions. Well, that's not, that's not true. That's not authentic. The the truth is we do have doubts at times. We do have questions. So the question is, what do we do with them? And so what you're encouraging us to do, and I've seen so much in the life of Thomas, exactly what you're sharing. Jesus pursued him. Jesus Mm -hmm. walked through a locked door because Thomas didn't even want to be, didn't believe it, didn't want to even be around a community of faith at that point. But Jesus pursued him. Mm That's the love of God. Like you said, as a doctor, it wouldn't be loving for you to slap a Band-Aid on a child who needs a surgery. That's not loving. That's irresponsible. So it's the love of God that says, listen, I love you too much, Lena or Angela, whoever is listening to say, I see your pain. It's, It's valuable but I want you to process it with me, not mm-hmm. separate from me. And I think that's a different paradigm than don't want to talk about it. Let's pretend it's not there. And if we don't create environments, especially communities of faith, where we can have these safe places to talk about, listen, I'm struggling right. with this question or this doubt. I think that would have made a difference for you. And I'm not speaking for you, but I'll just ask, would it have made a difference? Do you think had that community of faith treated you differently when you chose to leave? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it was, it was clear by the response that I was, that I I was guilty, Mm. even though I had done nothing. I I had deemed a problem that needed action because many had gone, many elders had gone to, this is a corrupt leadership structure. This isn't just, you know, upset about the, you know, meal at the potluck. I mean, (laughs) there were some real systemic problems. Yeah. Instead, even though I felt like why I left was, and I still think was the right thing. And and in fact, it was proven eventually to be right because that pastor was disqualified by the elders eventually, but took a lot of people with a lot of pain for it to get to that. But yeah, I think the idea that no one, you know, remember I was coming from 10 years earlier, my best friend who I thought I would marry, I felt like he would come after me and he never did. And now I was in a church that I thought would come after me and the church oh. never did. And so there was a sense now that these people that were Christian and, and that I, these promises that more so it wasn't even about that in both situations, I felt like if I did the right thing, God would just figure it out, you know, that my job was just to do the right thing and it'll all fall in place. And I think to see that not happen did something to, to, yeah, no question. And honestly, and I think for me, like being single and around COVID at that time, it was right pre COVID. So, but, but with not having a lot of friends, like I'm, I'm one of those more loner, I'm busy. You know, we yeah. had the Lebanon ministry, we've got my own ministry, writing books I mean, nothing stopped. I was still, I'm still practicing medicine to this day. So I, I didn't have the luxury of having a lot of friends. I lost my small group. So, so I had a couple of people in my life, still good voices in my life, but I went to counseling. And I think yeah. for me, this was the greatest gift. And for me, you know, I think back and I think I needed it, but also I think it offered a place of unconditional love. Hmm. 
And I think this is so interesting because, you know, you, I always have thought about it since, like, do people really have to go to counseling in order to get healing? And I think, no, what you're saying is right. If you could just find, I mean, it's great if you can afford it. Like, I mean, great. It's like a privilege for people to go sure. to counseling. But what happens to the Christian that can't afford it? Well, what we need isn't so much always a counseling relationship, but we need this a place that will offer us unconditional love. And that was the first place in a while where I was able to share my story deeply and messily, which is not a word, but I'm creating it <laughs> with all of its angles and feel like a genuine acceptance. And 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 I, I think to me that ended up being part of the healing process. And then I ended up also starting to go to a new church launch. I still had enough guilt from my old days that I still showed up to church. I still read my Bible every day. Mm. I just was that, like you said, like that couple that was in a different room. I felt like you could be like someone recently asked me, like, did you stop going to church during that season? I'm like, look you can be in church and not be in church. Like That's don't, true. Just because I'm showing up to the church means that I'm there. And so yeah. don't be fooled by appearances. And so I have not stopped going to church, but my goodness, I mean, I, I think I would say that I was on, on the, I'm, I'm coming in at the last second, I'm leaving and I was not going to church. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it looks good, but it's, you know, if you're looking for optics, but, but I think I knew in my heart. And then I, I started going to the small church and God used even again how God uses this unconditional love. The pastor of that church had been himself through a church hurt, which ended up affording me the grace I needed to to be absorbed in that body without them demanding anything from me. Mm. And 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 I think they saw that I had walls. To this day, I still see those walls want to come up in church, and I see how well they still love me. And I think that's so Christ-like and, and, and so redemptive. And, and that's why even in my book, I address some things that may be a little, you know, harder to address in a, in a very, you know, evangelical, conservative Bible, you know, background that I think have, you know, I've had one guy leave me an Amazon review be like, I talk a lot about my friendship with somebody who's, who's um, loves the Lord, but is married to another woman, a woman who's married to another woman. She's one of my close friends. And I talk about that chapter and someone went on Amazon and they, they clearly are average readers to maybe below average and critiqued, you know, that mm. she's not biblical. She doesn't believe her. And I laughed in my head because I thought first you didn't read it carefully enough. Yeah. But secondly, I think we're so quick to, again, we just want to be so like, you do this and you get that. Like, this is so easy for, for Christians to put each other in boxes because it, we're less afraid when you, we do that. Yeah. But the gospel is much messier than that. There's it Thomas, is. as you said. Yes. There's Peter, who almost gave up. That's and, and right. Two days later, leading revival. Think about it. He denies God so publicly. And two days, two, two pages in my chat, you know, in one chat, one page mm. switch, and you see him leading the greatest revival of all times in mm. Acts chapter two. It baffles your mind. You mm. almost feel like you want to give these people like, okay, well, you're going to be, you know, an usher for a while before you become the guy meeting Bible, right? To go go park cars in the church parking lot. But it said Jesus literally propels him into his calling. And I think I, I see how God has given us so much more grace than we are willing to give ourselves. And probably that's been the biggest lesson for me out of writing this book is just to understand that that Romans 5, you know, while we were still sinners, God loves us, doesn't isn't just a salvation verse. Mm. It is a Jesus relationship verse. He that's loved so true. us so deeply despite our worst mistakes and despite our best potential. That's right. That is so true. And there's something in this book for everyone, whether you're going through your own struggle with faith, whether you're a leader, Mm -hmm. um, you're going to find yourself in this book and you're going to find a new way of looking at people that are struggling with faith. Like you said, grace, 
the grace of God is so encompassing. Um, it doesn't excuse sin. And, and the reader obviously didn't read your book or read that well, because you're very clear in your position. But I think grace is messy. And I think grace always invites us in. It's, it's the one knocking at the door. I think we are the ones that put up the walls and put up, put up the immediate, uh, it's like the woman at the well. If I, you know, I've written about her who, yes, eventually he got in that conversation to listen. Let's talk about the situation that's going on in your life right now, because it's definitely below the poverty line spiritually of where you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. living. And, and yet he didn't start there. He started with a relational conversation and, and that really should be our model. I think if we can, if we can get our head around that, love people unconditionally, let the Holy Spirit does his, do his job, which he does very, very well. Yep. And even as you were talking, I thought of the scripture that says in Romans, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the first part is in view of God's mercy. So if I'm in view of God's mercy, if I'm aware of that, Lena, if I'm cognizant of what his mercy has meant in my life, I'm so much more willing and able to give that mercy and that grace to others and their complicated, Mm. messy seasons. And um, I'm I'm so impacted by that kind of grace. We'll never really fully understand it. I want to read something else that you wrote. The whole book is great. I could read. We'd be here all day. I would love to. Is it on audio, by the way? It just dropped today. It's on Audible today. Well, this airs in November. I I read it. I read it. So, oh, I love that. I love. Yeah, I got to read one of my own books. It's really special when you do. So, my accent. You'll either love it or hate it. (laughs) I love your accent. And so, listen, guys, if you like to listen to books, or you know someone maybe millennial Gen Xer and they'd rather listen, then get it on Audible for people as well. But on page thirty six, you share the first step in reconstructing your faith is to start by telling the truth. You've already kind of talked about that. It was painful. It was messy. Um, sadly, you didn't find that kind of unconditional love you were looking for in the church, but you did find it. Um, and then you go on to say your present suffering is God's invitation to you. That's the part I love, Lena, yeah. that our, let's reframe our suffering as God's invitation for more of his presence in your life. Pain needs God's presence. It doesn't just need intellectual platitudes. That's a big Mm -hmm. difference for us. We have to go toward God's presence. So how can we process our pain well so that we we can reconstruct our faith? One of the gifts that I continue to to, to practice in that season is the disciplines, right? And and Mm -hmm. I think for a while, I just did them because of guilt and habit. And I was also still running the ministry. So I had responsibilities and, and I, and because I believe in them, honestly, I don't think I do myself justice, but I believe in it. I just wasn't getting, it was just felt hollow. I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. it any other way. Yeah. And so for me, it was really, I remember exactly the day I came in. I'm in my house now. I was in the, I, I just came home. It was like a, maybe a cold, wintry day in Chicago, but I remember sitting on my sofa and I felt that day, even the counselor, I said how much the therapist had been helpful to me. And, and that day, I just felt like she didn't even understand. Like everything I said, she didn't understanding. And I was like, I'm not wasting my time here. And I remember just feeling this weight of the world on my shoulders. I felt alone and, and just sort of like, well, how, how did I land in this mess? And, and I remember my Bible was sitting like right there on the, on the, on the side table that I have. And I remember looking at it and kind of being like, why even bother? Like I'm, I've done read it so much. I doesn't, I'm not seeing it. I'm not, and then sort of like, I was so devastatingly hurting. Like I, I, I don't, it was just, you know, when you're, I can't even, I don't even know why, like you kind of go, why would I just felt so broken. 
And I thought, well, I'm going to open it. And I opened it randomly and I felt, and I even look now, now I don't even find it then, but I opened it too. And I didn't know at the time it was Psalm 22. I just started reading the words and it was so personal. It was the words that later I connected to Jesus, but it was at the time they felt like my words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Oh God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And I felt like this God understood me because he wrote exactly what I was feeling. And as I ever read the chapter a million times, but it just felt so fresh. And then in it, my very next thought was, oh my gosh, this isn't even about me. This is about him, like Jesus. Mm. Jesus felt that. And I felt such a, such a communion of intimacy, of, of, of understanding of closeness that all of this season of darkness was like sort of like, you know, you just need a little light to shine in that darkness. I felt like he took the light and he put a you know a torch to my darkness basically in that moment. And, and I wouldn't say like after that, everything was great. Every time I opened, no, it wasn't that, but it was a, a hopeful sense that you are seen, you are loved, you are understood, and you are still one of mine. And I think that's it's grace and it's so good and mm. and it just builds from there and and now i mean i have bad days now it's not like you know like there are things that happen i'm like what well, but then I'm, I'm quick to see i do see in the last especially six months i used to almost always err on thinking oh god's against me or christianity like everything bad's gonna happen to me and now it's like i err on the side of trusting god and I, but i don't force myself like I think that's the big difference is I'm intellectually yeah. very honest like if I say no God is good I know when I'm telling myself he's good and I know when I'm really believing he's good and I've changed in the last six months to my default is but God is good and how did that happen it's his goodness it's those those disciplines of silence and solitude and prayer and being with God that have now just taken out what's bad and watered it and over time I just have a sense deep in my soul that there is a God who loves me so much and he's so good and I still don't get it right but somehow he's not gonna leave me that's so good Lena that's so good and I think what you're telling us is do the things we know to do if we wait until we feel like it quote unquote we may never do that and your emotions will lie to you so you know we don't want our emotions to be our dictators so if we can say I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to read it and I'll be consistent and I'm going to pray. I don't feel like it. I don't even feel like he's hearing me, but God met you there. And so, you know, he meets us at our place of obedience. He pursues us. He finds us. He extends grace, but we have a responsibility in this as well. And what I'm hearing you say is, listen, I still showed up even in the middle of it, in the middle of all my doubts and my questions, I was still showing up. And don't be afraid to, to tell God the messy story. Like in a way, I feel like you always, like it's easier for me to tell another human, you know, my sister, my sister, my, my counselor, the badness, you know, like, like it almost like we feel like we have to protect God from the depth of our feelings. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know why we do that. Cause he already knows, but there is so much freedom when you actually tell it to him, like you feel mm. it, like, you know, and I think, I think he, the minute you do, you sort of see, oh, he hasn't like taken my life. Like, you know, like you feel like, oh, if I say it, he's going to snuff the life out of me. But, and, and I'm, and I'm not meaning like, obviously you have a fear of God if you're afraid to, to, to say things, like, but, but he already knows it's there. So there's freedom in, in being vulnerably authentic to God himself. Yeah. And so don't be so afraid of always having to have everything packaged just right. Like we just want to get everything right in order to talk to God. It, it doesn't work this way. Yeah. Come to God, open the word cry tell him i don't hear you i don't tell him your emotions he 
he, he loves that level. Of, he, you, the reason many of us struggle, we want that level of intimacy. We, we're sick of going to churches where we don't have that level of intimacy. Yeah. We want to, the Lord to know us. We want to sense his presence. And so there is in the middle of this wrestling, a longing, even people who deconstruct, they, they're disappointed because they have, they want more in their souls. And mm. God wants to give us more. Just don't give up too soon. So keep showing up, keep sharing your heart and soul with the Lord. And I promise you that like this God is, too good to leave us to our own beings. And I even think people who used to walk with God, who have now, you know, kind of embraced life. So we're like, I'm deconstructed. I'm not sure. I believe, I genuinely believe. I, I always want to say yet. They don't believe back yet. Just That's there's, good. there's so much between now. And I, and it's not because of my ability to convince them, but because if there is a God and he's real and there isn't a heart, a longing to know him, they're going to meet him. He's big enough to show himself to hit to that person. Amen. So you have someone in your life and you're hurting and you're broken. And you're like, I don't know how they got this way. They're so lost now. Listen, they haven't come back yet. You just keep trusting the Lord. Just like he showed himself to me. He's working on showing himself to them. Mm, thank you, Alina. That's a word of hope for so many people right now that are listening, that are waiting, that are tired. They're tired of doing all the things you're saying and maybe not seeing the results, but put a yet on the end of that. That's the hope of what you're talking about and the love that we have in God. And I, I would enjoy talking with you all day, not only from an intellectual standpoint, but from a hard standpoint. Um, but I do, before we wrap up, Lena, I want to ask just a minute, you're, you're making your life matter in so many different ways, but you grew up in Beirut and now you're working with Syrian refugees. So tell us a little bit about this and how you're yeah. making your life matter in this profound way, because I know it's very significant to you. Right. Well, it is. And it grew out of the season of darkness. Even in all this mess, God was still building something that I would never have been creative enough to build. When I left my, I, I talk a lot in the book about how God uses our um, failures and our, our pain to redirect our calling. And for me, it happened uh, two or three years after I left the church and I found myself sort of without a sense of calling and ministry, everything I thought I would be doing for the Lord. I got invited to go to Jordan and it was right when the Syrian refugee crisis was blowing up. And, and in my own home country, I found out 2 million Syrians now over 2 million. Now at the time there was about a million back in 2015 had come from Syria to Lebanon. So after my Jordan trip, I was sort of awakened to this crisis and I ended up going to Lebanon. And one thing, you know, it's a longer story, but basically one thing led to the other and we started doing medical mission trips there, partly because I had the time. And I also was looking for ways to find meaning in my life. And I I, I wanted still to matter and to be used by God. And, and it's like, God just created this, like he saw it before time began. I get it. But like, it was amazing how he stepped in. I was like, okay, now that I have your attention, like, and so I started going four times a year and we started helping more and more. And now we've got a couple of medical clinics that you run year round, one for the Syrian refugees and actually one for the Lebanese who are going through their own struggles. We help humanitarian needs regularly every month. And then we've got a nurse's aid training program that we started. We have over 60 students now. And then we um, are just starting now a fetal maternal program that our midwife nurse practitioner is on the ground running. So the Lord has expanded the work there tremendously. And so We've been able last year with the bomb in Lebanon, we were able to raise up a lot of donations. I mean, we have a lot of credibility in the world, in the world of Christianity in terms of what we're doing in the Middle East by God's grace. And so the work, the work keeps going and, and growing and it's awesome. It's fun. So <laughs> it's good. I'm, I'm it, planning on going there in November. So oh, that's we'll so see. exciting. And it's a great message of, it's a great ministry of reconciliation, which we don't have time to get into, but that's in the book too. Just so there's just, there's just so much guys, you just need to follow all things Lena. That's so awesome. So if people want to be involved just just in that, and then we'll come back to how they can order the book, but how can they be a part of that, Lena? How could they donate? Maybe they want yeah. to be a part of your of your trip in November. 
Right. Our website, livingwithpower.org, is our ministry website. It leads you to every place, but our, we have a, like another one that's easy to remember is shegiveshope.com. That's our merch store. That's where we sell books and material, like clothes, but it also tells the story of what we're doing in the Middle East. And it also links back to our, our umbrella organization, which is Living With Power. So either that, Living With Power or She Gives Hope. Instagram today, we're talking, it's down today, which is rare to happen, but generally you can follow me if you can spell my name on Instagram. And we try to keep people aware of everything we're doing there but yeah the the best thing is again email me but uh, if you're a doctor or a nurse or a dentist we're looking right now mostly for dentists mm. to come with us but we we do trips regularly but we also take non-medical people i plan usually once a year other than last summer with covid i skipped it but usually we'll take people once a year to do like a vision trip and get to see the work that's happening there so i love that a lot of fun and i'll spell your name a b u j a m r a for people that are looking to make sure they spell it right and i'll put all those in my show notes and i'm sure they can order your book you know anywhere it's found but is there a particular way you want them to connect with you or order it lena no i mean amazon obviously is yeah prime you can get it tonight and then audible <laughs> as you mentioned we're pretty excited about that and then uh, yeah no otherwise any questions or any prayer requests or if you connected and you just want to, to, to just connect more deeply. You're free to welcome to email me at Lena at livingwithpower.org. I love it. I'll put all of them in show notes. Well, I'll ask, I ask one last question of everyone before I close and I'm anxious to hear your answer. So other than Jesus, Lena, who in the Bible has inspired you to make life matter? Maybe you can't wait to meet them in heaven or a question you want to ask. Who is that person for you? Yeah, it's, it's almost an impossible question. My two favorite prophets, hands down, are Moses and Elijah. It's a toss yeah. up. I can't, Elijah is probably my favorite. But in this book, I would say right now, I'm gravitating the most towards Naomi. Her story is mm. amazing. And so I feel like I've had her on my brain more than anybody in the last six months. So maybe that's close enough. <laughs> wow, no one's ever said her. So now I'm intrigued by that. And and that's a that's a story of a deep, deep valley, a, a not yep. yet, a not yet moment. Yep. And then a full and an absolute turnaround. Yep. And a turnaround, a full restoration. So yeah, if you have, maybe that's your next book, Lena, maybe there's something else brewing in there. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be praying for you about it. Well, I'll Thank put you. all the show notes, how they can connect with you. Get this book guys, Fractured Faith. It is so good. Get it for anyone that, you know, maybe struggling in their faith or a leader, finding your way back to God in an age of decay construction. I want to read today's takeaway and truth that matters is from Romans five verses one through five. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. Guys, that's a grace we've been talking about this whole episode in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character character, hope, and hope will not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That really is what you've been preaching. Your life is preaching this message, Alina. So thank you for your voice and our generation. Thank you for being bold and brave to share your story with us. And, and I can't wait to see what else is going to come, come next from you because it's not over by any means. So I would love for you to pray over our listeners as we close, Lena. God, we just uh, rejoice in who you are and thank you that you are a God who redeems us. You're a God who sees us. You hear our groanings and our and you can collect our tears in a bottle. And so, Father, I pray for any listener right now who just needs an awareness of your presence, that you would reveal yourself mightily to them now. God, please open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see you. Help us to hear you. God, we just ask that you would 
give us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of mourning. Lord, we trust you. We, uh, for those who don't trust you yet, we ask that you would give us this gift of trust. And for those that do, that, that you would deepen our confidence in your goodness and our awareness of your deep love for us. God, help us to live out the gospel message as you continue to give it to us, Lord, and help us to give it to others. And so, Father, we thank you for this time, for Angela, the work she's doing. I pray, Father, that you continue to open doors wide for her to bless the book they're writing about Thomas. May you use it, God, to further your kingdom, but also to bring healing to those who are hurting. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at cpnshows.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at angeladenadio.com, Facebook at Angela Donatio VOV, and Instagram at Angela Donatio. Until next week, let's make life matter.